Hi everyone, you're listening to the Health and Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Alison Mitchell, a practicing naturopath, and you can find me on naturopathnsw.com.au. These podcasts will feature discussions on various health conditions, health tips, and nutrition from a naturopathic perspective. Sometimes it's just me, sometimes I'm interviewing guests. All the time, I hope to share with you information on health and wellbeing with the aim to empower and educate. Please remember that all information is general and not a specific recommendation that replaces consulting with a practitioner. Please talk to your healthcare practitioner before undertaking any changes to your treatment regime. Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Health and Wellbeing Podcast. I'm really excited to bring this episode to you because I've got such an awesome topic. It's about the fourth trimester and about care for new parents who have just had a baby. And my guest today is Kathleen Murphy, who is a naturopath and acupuncturist who has a specialty business called Mama Care, where she actually goes to people's houses that have just had babies and provide this amazing service to them. So she is really immersed in this field of the postpartum care and is such a wealth of knowledge. And I'm really happy to be able to share this information with you today. If you or your partner or someone that you know has just had a baby or is about to have a baby, this is going to be a really helpful listen because what we're going to be talking about is the importance of that village and about the postpartum care and also what you can do to ease that postpartum experience for yourself or for your friends and family and what you can do to help out someone that's just had a baby as well. And so we're talking a bit about, you know, what what Kathleen offers and and how that sort of thing should be more widely embraced, um, you know, across Australia, because it's so important for people to look after themselves as as new parents. Having had a, a child myself and having friends and family who I've seen go through this experience, as well as my own clinical experience, it's so common that people will just drop everything about their own self-care and just look after baby and we can't maintain that it's just as important to look after yourself as a new parent as it is to take care of yourself in the preconception and pregnancy period because you are the one that has to look after that baba and you need to be really healthy in order to do that because if anything you're under just as much if not more physical and emotional stress with all the sleep deprivation that takes place and one of the best ways to ensure that you are actually getting optimal health throughout this period is to make sure that you're getting plenty of support so I talked to Kathleen today about how we can actually get some of this support So today we're joined with Kathleen Murphy. She is a clinical naturopath and acupuncturist who has been in practice since 2009. Over that time, Kath has worked in several large multi-modality clinics, first in Brisbane and then Sydney, where she now lives. Her current practice is in Sydney's inner city, but she also travels to patients' homes, visiting new mothers and their families as part of Mama Care Health, the service that she launched last year. Outside of practice, Kathleen lectures to naturopathic and nutrition students, works with community and corporate healthcare programs, and sits on the board of the NHAA. She is also the mother of a busy three-year-old and married to a fellow naturopath and public health academic. So thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. Uh, So can you give us a bit of a run-through of the services that you provide? Sure, with Mama Care. Um, So the whole purpose of Mama Care is to provide a continuum of care for women and by virtue of caring for women, their families, um, from pregnancy through into motherhood and whether that's initial first-time motherhood or, you know, sixth-time motherhood. Um, so I am a naturopath and acupuncturist, like you said. So I am doing health assessments, so physical health assessments, nutritional health assessments um, of women before they have their baby and then in the fourth trimester afterwards and to make it easier to access that care because that's something I've observed is hard once the baby comes along to get out of the house and make appointments, I um, do in-home visits. And during those visits, I will continue with, um, I guess, advice or assessments based on what I know of the woman or what we have agreed on previous to her having the baby and also do physical treatment. So 
moxibustion or warming treatments on the back and abdomen, um, acupuncture if it's appropriate, uh, you know, discuss diet, kind of. And because I'm in someone's home, I also often meet with their partner, other children, potential family members or friends that are around supporting them. So I get a sense of what the environment is, um, where they are, you know, what they've come home to and what the, what other factors are influencing their health and well-being, which is so um, it can be tenuous for some women after they've had a baby. It's a very, um, it's a time of great change. It's a time of huge recovery. It's a beautiful time, but a lot of support is needed and I think a lot of women miss it. So the whole point of my service is um, bringing additional support into the home and also linking them to other services or helping them to find um, the areas where they can get the support that they need. You know, some people need a lot of support, others don't. Others are very resilient and bounce back and, you know, they don't um, feel the need for a lot of um, extra health or help or treatment, but many do, but they sort of don't know where to ask for it, especially once the baby arrives. So yeah. it's easier when I come into their home and kind of help them um, work out a plan. Yeah, for sure. I can imagine that there would be some mums out there that just absolutely need that really, really close support. And yeah. I think that's so important because there's so many people out there that are really, really, really struggling. Yeah. So what inspired you to start this sort of service? Well, I mean, I think I've been thinking about it for quite a while. I, um, for years before even I had my own daughter, I had been working um, first in Brisbane and then in Sydney um, in clinics that worked with women who were going through fertility treatment and then also pregnancy support. Um, so, and I'd, I'd done some work with midwives and lactation consultants about, you know, health nutrition, herbal medicine around um, labour and birthing and a little bit postpartum. Uh, but I, I sort of, I, I still might, like most people, my focus was on like the preconception health, fertility, and then pregnancy health, labour preparation, and then maybe after birth lactation, maybe a little bit energy. Um, and after having, in the lead up to having my own daughter three and a half years ago, I um I, I mean, I, I read a lot around it, but I also maybe I knew about it from my experience. I really felt like um, the focus on after after having her was as important as beforehand, and I was surprised by lack of resources or support or services that were available. Obviously, I'm in a situation where I can, um, you know, I've got a lot of, I mean, I'm married to a health practitioner and I could sort of, I was aware of services, so I could call on services that I needed, um, but I was surprised by the lack of other services or support available. And then talking through, I guess, my own experience with Mole and then also my, my daughter and, um, you know, to, to other mums through the clinic and, you know, friends going through um, new motherhood, that was reflected back to me again and again, sort of that feeling of overwhelm after they get home with this baby and nobody knows what to do and nobody knows who to call Um yeah, and I just saw that big gap in the, not gap in the market, it sounds gross, but like sort of gap in, in service provision and that gap in continuity of care. And that's where women and then their families kind of fall through the cracks and start to, you know, become depleted and, and suffer. Yeah, I know what you mean because I've definitely observed that myself personally, like with my friends and family and in clinic as well. It's just that, like, you know, you have the baby and see you later. And people, yeah. they sort of joke about it and say, ha they don't come with a manual, but it's like, <laughs> there actually should be a lot more support for this sort of thing. Yeah. And like, it, there's sort of, to a certain degree, there is, but like, it's kind of hidden and you have to really dig down deep and actually find specific aspects. Whereas it sounds like what you're doing is actually getting, doing the work for that person and finding there's resources for them, but actually bringing, bringing that to them when, when you are coming into the home. That's well. it. And, yeah. and trying to, you know, it's part of our practice is also educating and empowering the patients, but trying to um, get in their head that it's not an indulgence to care for your own health after the baby's born. I think um, even unconsciously when people are focusing on preconception care, pregnancy care, even labour and birth preparation, it's actually, it's for themselves, but it's for the baby. It's all about the baby, making sure that the baby is the healthiest baby that they can conceive, making sure that they grow a healthy baby and they have a good environment for the little one and then that they have a good birth 
again for themselves but for you know creating the best um, entrance into the world they can for their child and then when we start focusing on postpartum care um, although it certainly benefits the baby and other family members the focus is really on the mother because the mother has actually always been important is the key person in this whole picture um, but getting people's heads around the fact that they are it's, it's a worthwhile investment to, to spend time and energy and, and resources on themselves, you know, just for themselves, if nothing else. But, yeah. of course, it benefits everyone else as well. I mean, I, you would be aware of a lot more research in this area than, than I would, but I often quote this particular study that I read to people where um, if m- women took an hour per week of time to themselves by just doing whatever they wanted to do, then it actually significantly reduces uh, postnatal depression. And it's just yeah. um, like so many things that go to show that, you know, it's important to care for yourself as the mum, but mm-hmm. they, it's so hard for, for women to actually accept that. And I see yeah. it all the time in clinic and, and, again, in friends and family as well that um, they they go, like, for instance, they, they might have had an appointment with, with me, but then they end up spending the whole time talking about the baby. Um, mm-hmm. So you are just as important. So we really do need to you know, cover both of these aspects. Yeah. I, I, why do you think that we've had such a venturing away from this concept of, like, the mums being important? Like, why do you think that now it's a selfish thing that mums think that? Or do you think it's always been like that? Um, I don't think it's always been like that because if you look at various different health traditions across the world, um, the, the concept of, Care after birth, fourth trimester care, like the lying in period, a golden month, the uh, la quarenta, like there's all different versions of it in different traditions, um, which honour and nurture the mother after birth. Again, whether it's her first baby or her many subsequent babies, um, it is, however, built around the idea of a a close-knit community that supports one another. And I think the, the fact that a lot of us, not all of us, a lot of people still live within a um, a really well-connected family or community. But many people, and particularly I've observed here in Sydney, and I'm one of them who moved here without any family or any friends, and obviously we've built a community over the time that we've been here, um, but a lot of people are living without that, uh, you know, for want of a better word, village network to support them. Um, and so when the baby comes out, there's an expectation because also we've always done everything for ourselves and if we need help, we call on it and we buy it in or we... Um, we find out how to do it ourselves. There's this idea that we can do that after we've had a baby, and we don't need to. We don't need to ask for help, and we're kind of not surrounded by people that we've observed helping one another in that setting. Also, because less babies are being born generally, most of us aren't having. Some people are having many children, which is awesome, but a lot of us are not having many children, so we're not surrounded by, you know, women and families birthing children constantly throughout the years. So we don't observe that practice and contribute to it. We actually had a big discussion about this at the um, – so I formed an expert advisory committee to help me sort of build and expand mama care to create better services and um, all these maternal child health experts. And um, we had a discussion around exactly this last month when we had a meeting, um, sort of that, that fracturing over time that seems to have occurred. I think many factors is the short answer. <laughs> okay. And that's your that's your catchphrase, isn't it? Like you know, on your website, your heading is bringing the village home. Mm. Yeah, I love that concept. I mean, they. I mean, I just see so many mums who are just parenting all by themselves, and yeah, like you know, in some instances, there's an awesome dad helping them out, uh, but yeah. too frequently, the the dad has to go back to work too early, and I think that you know maybe that's something to do with living here in Australia because I've got friends that are overseas that the um, paternity leave is completely different and it, it should be so much better. But on top of that, you know, grandparents and other relatives might be living far away or, or they're too busy working themselves and so they just – or they just don't have that sort of supportive relationship. Yeah. But like you said, because we, we are seeing many less families having big, big families <laughs> I think it's like it takes actually becoming a parent yourself to realize how much care um, a baby or a new parent actually needs and like some of, some of my friends have had children before me and I just I wish I had done more for them because now yeah. like I know what it was like and 
I, th- I think just with all of that and all of the things that you mentioned, so many parents are left feeling isolated. Yeah. Mm. What sort of and I think a lot of us – sorry, go on. I was just going to say, what sort of problems do you think are actually happening now as a result of this lack of a village? Um, well, I mean, isolation, I think, is one of the key things. And then from that uh, little, like, warning signs or, you know, not so much red flags, maybe yellow flags to start off with for, um, you know, problems with mental health or even physical health, you know, where there's pain where there shouldn't be or issues with digestion or um, infections in wound sites or, you know, stitches or things like that, they they go, they can, not always, um, but they can progress further than they should before they get investigated because there is that sense of either, one, I don't have anyone to help me and I don't, I don't have anyone to soundboard off this or I don't want to trouble anyone. Um, it's probably not too bad. It's fine. I can sort it out until it gets to a point where it's not fine and then help is required. But uh, the idea, and certainly with Mamacare, is to be a healthcare practitioner but also, a you know, like a woman or fellow mother in the space but not a friend or family member. So I have that distance to be able to clinically judge when there, like, maybe additional help is required but that rapport and connection with a woman and her family to also offer them that support and help kind of coach them towards um yeah, better self-care. Yeah, potentially people might not feel comfortable asking about certain things to their friends and family. It might just be, oh, are they going to yeah. see me as being a whinger or too annoying or something like that, yeah. which is like... And a lot of us are having our babies when we're older and not old, old, but, you know, in our 30s. And so we've been studying and working and like fiercely independent and very successful and, you know, we shown that we can do everything on our own already, both parents, both parents, like men and women. Um, so it's a real shock to the system to experience something that should be, inverted commas, totally natural, but is in fact still a learnt skill, even if it is a biological process. And if you haven't observed others around you doing it, then it's um, it stands to reason that it will be even more difficult because you're trying to teach yourself while you're in the thick of it. Mm-hmm. So you know, I think opening people's eyes to that is really, really important as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, like, you know, even if you have already had a kid, you still you forget everything. I mean, I've, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've got a, a baby due in the next month or so and yeah. I'm thinking, I think I've forgotten everything already, <laughs> even though I'm in the, in, the, in the industry and immersed in this yeah. sort of knowledge base, but... It's still like understandable for someone who's who's not got that experience just to be like I have absolutely no idea what to do. <laughs> yeah, and that's like that's normal, right? That's just your body's survival mechanism. So it's not, and it's not like you have to have. Of course, it's great if someone like me or a similar service um, is available. It's not like you have to have someone in your house, but if you don't have that, like going back to the village, if you don't you know, for other people as well, if they don't have that, that village network or people to call on. So when you are in the middle of the night thinking, oh God, is this cluster feeding normal? Like when you catch up with someone the next day and they say, yeah, that's, you know, like they reassure you and tell you that it's okay. Mm. Like even something as simple as that can make a huge difference. Oh, um, cool. Rather than, you know, the other thing is online communities, which are growing more and more and where, I live in Sydney, there's a few big um, online like Facebook groups, closed mothers groups that have many thousands of women in them. Um, and they can be really useful to connect people, but they're also, um, it's not, they're not quite the same as seeing someone face to face because it's still, it's not people that you know personally and who know your situation. And sometimes where there's something maybe more serious going on, um, you know, where you're really struggling physically or mentally, like, reassurance from an online community is good but they don't know the whole picture so they're not necessarily giving you the best advice Mm. yeah and they don't have that professional knowledge base so sometimes it can be a little bit dangerous but also potentially like you know depending on the group and the, the nature of the people like I've seen some forums and groups out there where I'm just like this is so judgmental I just yeah would be steering so clear of those sorts of groups because the last thing you want to be doing is making yourself feel like you're doing everything wrong and feeling judged. And it's just, yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
everyone's so different and has their own ways of doing things. Yeah, mm. too true. So earlier on we touched on the concept of the fourth trimester. So for those who don't know, can you talk about what it is and why it's so important? Yeah, so the fourth trimester is uh, like the first 12 weeks after the baby's born. So we know that the pregnancy is broken down into three trimesters, different developmental stages. And um, increasingly actually in research and certainly in you know, popular media and sort of conversation around um, health with pregnancy and postpartum or postnatally, um, there's more discussion about fourth trimester. And it's often used in reference to the baby. So talking about, you know, the baby's adjustment um, to life outside the womb, which is, you know, a pretty big adjustment for them. That's a huge life change. Uh, uh, and so understanding how things, you know, understanding um developmental stages for the baby during the fourth trimester as they're kind of adapting to life on the outside. Um, but there's the fourth trimester is also a time of great change and adaptation for the mother physically um, as well as, you know, hormonally, mentally, emotionally. There's so much change as your body recovers from birth depending on what time of birth, type of birth you had, whether that was a surgical birth or like a, an unmedicated natural birth or uh, you know, a high-level interventional vaginal birth or whatever, like anything in between. Like even if you had the most excellent pain-free, like baby slipped out of you natural birth, which is what we all hope for, um, you know, there's still a recovery period. Like it's still like it's a huge process that your body's gone for, gone through rather, not to mention the, the hormonal come down and then highs and lows that follow as you adjust to you know, breastfeeding hormones, postpartum hormones and their sleep deprivation digestive function there's all these things that your body is um, doing over that period of time as it adapts to um yeah post-pregnancy life and I mean most people have their their official follow-up after six weeks because that's when that's normally how long it takes for the uterus to shrink back to size size and for the the hormones to more or less stabilize um but it's not like it's not over you're not back to yourself after six weeks you know, you're, you're still yourself, but you're also different. You've gone through a seismic change. And so the fourth trimester is part of recognising that and transitioning um, a woman as well as her baby into this new life together. Because I think that's it. People feel like three, three trimesters, boom, baby out, back to normal. But it's like, no, it's not normal. Well, you've got a new normal, I think I should say. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think that I actually felt like I was back to my old self for at least a year. Yeah. And um, like just completely different sort of brain functioning as well. Like, yeah. Um, and, yeah, like your body is completely different as well. Like I, I had to have an emergency C-section and the recovery of that, like they say, is six weeks, but I noticed after effects of that for a long time. And, yeah. um, and like you were saying as well, with all those hormonal changes, like post immediately post-birth, I was so overwhelmed by those. <laughs> And, yeah. and I didn't really have any professional tell me about those. Um, mm -mm. You know, I'd read a little bit about them in books, but I didn't realise the extreme to the emotions that you would feel in those first few days. Yeah. And, um, you know, the letdown, oh, my God. <laughs> 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 when your milk comes in, I had no idea that was going to be as yeah. intense either. So all these things. Do you, are, are there things that you've noticed that are recurring things like that which new parents wish they'd been told before having a baby, like about, you know, the birth itself, uh, the like the, pro the process of the birth the um, and the after period as well? Um, I think it's, it's simple things which aren't simple things that people often ask about. Lots around the baby, like around feeding. Um, so their own, yeah, milk coming in and then like, you know, like rock hard boobs and, you know, trying to establish breastfeeding um, and then the like everything around that, like all of the emotion and expectation around feeding, whatever, you know, path they choose or um, so that there's often, you know, questions around that. Is the baby getting enough? Am I producing enough? Like how do I manage my own comfort or discomfort? Um digestive problems or digestive questions like sluggish digestion, hemorrhoids, like things that are kind of not pedestrian but day-to-day -day things but that are like they have a significant impact on quality of life and they're sort of those like nothing problems, inverted commas, like they're pretty important but they're not, maybe they're not, they're not worthy of a doctor's visit, you know what I mean, but they're still impacting day-to-day -day life. 
pretty significantly and maybe a little bit too intimate to talk to friends or family about if they um if a woman or her partner don't have like that that level of connection with their you know their people around them so um I mean there are more significant questions as well but I think those seemingly small problems which are really common um around yeah sleep and feeding digestion what to eat what not to eat that kind of thing yeah and Mm. speaking of eating um (laughs) (laughs) that I've noticed is one of the things that you're really um, advocating about like something that new parents really need support with is bringing food yes god so apart, apart from bringing food, what are some of the other most common areas that you see new parents need support with? Um, I think um, just uh, maybe giving space. Uh, a lot of people feel this is a generalisation and so it's not true of everyone, but a lot of fe- people feel like they need to bring everyone in to show off their new baby, of course, because they've just made a beautiful new human. Um, but people, a lot of those people coming in don't understand um, that it's not about them. It's actually about the, the mum, her baby, her partner and any other children. So when they come, they need to be, you know, like they need to not come for very long. They need to bring food. Um, they need to be respectful. They need to not expect to hold the baby. Um, you know, like they need to like monitor the comfort of the people that they're visiting. It's, you know, it's not about their own comfort and taking photos and posting them to Facebook and that type of thing. Um yeah, that's I think just res- like respecting the space of the um, of the the parents is really important. Bringing food, yes, of course. Um, a part of this is also setting setting this in sorry setting um, the expectations in advance because it's very hard, obviously, when you're overwhelmed and sleep deprived and you just had a baby to then request someone who's come to visit you to put on the kettle and make you a cup of tea, or to please go around the corner to the bakery and pick something up because you are ravenous and you are not preparing them food. Um, whereas if you set those expectations with people in advance, um, it can be a little bit uncomfortable, but then everybody knows where they stand. For example, from my own experience, so all of our family lives out of town. Everyone was excited because we had a baby. They were, you know, We finally had a baby. They've been waiting for years for us to have a baby. And everyone wanted to come to visit, you know, brothers, sisters, um, nieces and nephews all wanted to fly into Sydney and visit and I just put an embargo on it I said absolutely not the mums and the dads can visit end of story like we're not seeing anyone for the first month and it put a few noses out of joint initially but you know what I just it wasn't worth it like if they'd come I love my family and my in-laws they're awesome but that was not the time when I needed them and their energy they wouldn't have been able to like correctly you know they wouldn't have been able to support me and I wouldn't have been or John wouldn't have been in the place to you know, give them what they needed either. So, you know, setting that up in advance meant that by the time we saw them, either they came to us or we went to them, we were in a much more, you know, we were established, we kind of had our routine, we felt good about how things were going and, um, you know, I could get up and put the kettle on for someone else. <laughs> yeah, and that time goes so quickly that, like, they wouldn't have really noticed that much of a difference anyway. Um, no. Probably. I mean, like the baby changes in that time, but it does make a big difference as to how how you're feeling. Yes, exactly. So what are some other ways that parents can prepare themselves for that smoother postpartum period? Um, I think uh, so we have this whole, we're not like a a program with Mama Care, but um, sort of a, a, a booklet full of suggestions and sort of outlining how things can change. So I guess informing themselves about what they might expect um, in those first weeks and months. So everyone reads pregnancy books and they have a sense of what's happening through their pregnancy and they may or may not, they might do a very simple birthing um, preparation class or they might do something more, you know, involved like calm birth or she births or something like that. So you know, people prepare themselves for what's going to happen um, as much as possible. Parents, women um, and their partners um, reading up on or talking to people about what 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 they can expect, like even physiologically, what processes their body is going to go through. And that's why we've created this booklet that sort of simplifies that. Um, and then, you know, more information can be attained from there. 
setting up a good pantry, yeah, I'm always with the food, but that's so, so, so important. <laughs> and it's just, it's like one of those things that's just too hard to deal with when you come, for a lot of people, when you come home with a new baby. So setting up a meal train or stocking your freezer or pantry or setting up an online delivery or, you know, using a, a meal service or whatever um, so that that's one less thing off the off your plate. But other children, ensuring that, um, you know, childcare is uh, sort of organised in advance and even things like, you know, cleaning the house and washing, those things get done. And I know that people can say the washing can wait and the cleaning can wait, but so many people I know don't want to sit on a couch breastfeeding in a filthy house with piles of washing around them. You know what I mean? So then really banal stuff like yeah, food and um, chores or trying to prep for them in advance. Um so that they don't have to worry about that's the last thing you want to think about. You just want to gaze at your new baby and sort of bond and recover. And so trying to prep for those in advance as much as possible allows you to do that. Mm. Particularly if you're feeling sore and hormonal and stressed out and sleep deprived, the last thing you want to do yes. is yeah, put your crying baby down and go and um, yeah, tidy the kitchen and that sort of thing. Good lord, worst. Yeah, yeah who wants to do that? <laughs> But it, yeah, it's so. It would be so hard to ask for that sort of help when, like you said, you're just so such an independent person, and you um, have been so accustomed to not asking for help in anything. And people view you as an independent person. It's totally understandable that people um, mm. have a hard time shifting that mindset. Yes, exactly. So I, I, um, I'm interested in some of the recent studies that you've done with your acupuncture and, and that as well. So oh, yeah. you did quite a lot of um, study overseas as well for that, didn't you? Uh, oh, just a, I went and did an internship in a, a hospital in Guangzhou, yes, last year, just as was, part of my back. That would have been fascinating. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, it was. I was only there for a, you know a short period of time. Um, and we were shadowing um, clinicians both in the outpatient and the inpatient clinic. But fascinating, <laughs> maybe 50% of it, maybe less, was not really transferable to practice here simply because it's um, Chinese patients are way more hardcore than Australian patients. They will allow much deeper needling and stronger needle stimulation and, you know, like stuff that I just I would never get away with in clinic here. I wouldn't even, you know, I wouldn't cover a kid's scalp and needles here just <laughs> nobody would like that um but then there was a lot that was you know fascinating to observe particularly because where we were was in a big um Chinese medicine hospital but it's an integrated hospital actually so it's you know allopathic orthodox biomedicine um alongside traditional Chinese medicine so patients are normally doing following the doctor um and his interns we were just like other interns on the inpatient rounds you know, you walk into wards where patients are for whatever they're in there for, but they, you know, they're hooked up to an IV, um, they might be receiving medication, but they're also, as a doctor assesses them, he also takes their pulse, he does some acupuncture on them, maybe he organises some herbal medicine to be given, some oxybustion as well, like just that seamless integration, they're getting the best of everything. That was awesome. It was such an excellent um, thing to observe and see how seemingly simple um, treatments from the the Chinese medicine point of view, like with acupuncture, um, really enhanced the uh, the healing capacity, I guess, of what they were doing with the rest of their treatment. Mm, I would love to see something like that happen here in Australia. Mm. Uh, yeah, in China and India, they're doing it with yeah, Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic and, um, and even some naturopathic medicine in India now, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, we've got a little way to go, don't we? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But, you know, there's... I think these um the the models overseas are although they can't can be completely replicated because of cultural differences and you know policy and all that type of thing they are you know like really interesting research is coming out of this or protocols are being developed demonstrating clear benefit with the integration so I don't know and I guess you know I'm in private practice and in clinic I see lots of people who are also seeing specialists and doctors, you know, some people who don't want to see anyone else, but a lot of, like most people who have complex health conditions are probably the same for you. They're, they're seeing, you know, multiple practitioners. I'm one of a number of practitioners that they might be seeing over time. And, you know, it's a mixture of CAM and um, biomedical 
clinicians that are supporting them. Yeah. And I, I do think that it has to be like that for a lot of people. Like, you know, it's the best of both worlds and yeah. that's when people get the, the most op- optimum care. And, I, yeah, that's the dream. Yeah. <laughs> so in what sort of ways do you um, assist people with these new treatments that you've, you've learned? Because you've been doing it for a while now about, like, the acupuncture and the moxa. Like, what's that helpful yeah. for for a new mum or a new oh, parent? Oh, um, so, no, not everything I suppose, but, uh, I mean, from a, immediately after having a baby, so you've, you know, you know what it's like, you're very pregnant at the moment, like you feel full, you're very warm, like you're full of fluid and baby. And then after you give birth, although there's still, you know, like flesh and fluid, you've lost the baby, you've lost the placenta and you lose a lot of fluid as well. Sometimes people lose blood. So there's this kind of like emptiness in the center which is nice it's a feeling of lightness but from a Chinese medicine point of view that's um you need to sort of nourish and warm the center because it's been so you know full and hot for a while and now it's been emptied to help it retract and to help ensure blood flow and to um you know like nourish and help heal that area Um, warming treatments like moxa is often used sometimes needling compression anything that's going to um, stimulate encourage contraction of the uterus, but also, you know, stimulate blood flow, reduce inflammation and encourage healing. There's also, with the treatments, I mean, it's not just local, although that's part of it. You know, some people have pain following birth, depending on what kind of birth they had. They might, you know, have back pain or, you know, shoulder and um, neck and back pain from, you know, leaning over and breastfeeding and stuff like that. Um, So it can be used to help relieve tired and tight muscles. Um, there's also points that nourish. So, you know, in Chinese medicine, it's referred to as nourishing blood, but, um, you know, it helps with energy and even in increasing hemoglobin. So, you know, improving iron stores, balancing hormones. So there's lots and lots of applications for the use of, um, acupuncture and moxa alongside those foundations of as much as possible, good diet, rest when you can, hydration, sunshine, all of that kind of thing. Yeah, works really well together. I'm totally yeah. biased, but I think it's excellent. <laughs> I think it sounds excellent as well. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like you've you've got this whole package, and it's very unique. Like in in my area out in in the sort of west area, there's hardly anything like that that's available. Um, I would love to see that become more wide, more common, Me more too. widespread. Yeah, what that's my dream. <laughs> It's for everyone what's, to expand. Doesn't have to be me. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you wouldn't be able to do that much work. No, no. <laughs> um, but what sort of differences do you think we would start to see if if more parents were able to receive this sort of care, like this sort of package, they like lowered incidences of certain diseases or um, things yeah. like that? I mean, it would be. This is something that we were talking about with the committee as well down the track, um, sort of standardizing how I'm collecting information and working with women and their families to actually sort of clinically assess outcomes. But, you know, at the moment without doing a study, I think because the the rate of postnatal depression um, or not even postnatal depression but, you know, anxiety um, uh, and stressed, you know, mental health disorders after birth is, is high. And so even providing that continuity of care can help to reduce that. So improving mental health outcomes, which in the short term is beneficial, but in the long term is beneficial for the mother, her baby, her partner and the rest of the family. Um, Also screening, I suppose, for, um, you know, issues with hormonal imbalance or deficiencies, um, problems with energy, anything like that is going to, because it's a whole naturopathic model of preventative health. Like if we're improving... um, health during pregnancy in that initial postpartum phase, then people's overall vitality is restored quicker. So their ability to, um, you know, fight illness, fight infection and maintain good health for longer is improved. So even though it may not be like, we'll cut the rate of cardiovascular disease by so many percent, it's just improving overall well-being of that population that is currently very depleted, you know. Yeah, so I I mean... I guess it's all theoretical, but we could certainly expect that there would be, with a greater support network, better food, better nutrition, there would be less postpartum depression, um, better rates of breastfeeding. And, mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty well established the, the benefits of that in terms of immunity and future health benefits of the, of the child as well. 
Yeah, uh, exactly. Mm. And I think that's such a uh, lacking area. I mean, there are some wonderful resources out there, like um, the ABA I'm a massive, massive fan of. But, yeah. Um, but so many people don't um, know as easily how to access it or have not even heard of it. And I, I'm sometimes quite surprised by that because they, their, um, their hotline is free. And yes. People think they have to be members, but um, you can even go to certain classes, like a certain amount of classes for free for, for that as well um, before, yeah. before joining up. But it, it's like a mum's group. It's, I absolutely loved my time of attending the ABA meetings. Yeah, <laughs> I know. You're right. There are a number of resources around. I guess it's about hooking people into that and, you know, what's sort of in their area and what speaks to them because for other people an ABA meeting is not relevant either because they don't gel with – it's the same with mothers' groups or parents' groups or whatever, maybe don't connect with people there or they're parenting in a different way to you or, you know, breastfeeding, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's about adapting it to what the, the person needs. Mm. It's really interesting seeing these really specific Facebook mums groups forming. Um, so, like, I found one the other day that was so specific. It was like, we do baby wearing and um, baby led weaning. And if you don't do that, then you can't join the group. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I guess they're clear about what their guidelines are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, guess, well, I mean, if you don't do that, then why would you want to? But yes, yeah. Correct. Okay. <laughs> But in in regards to um, breastfeeding, what are your some some of your favourite snacks for the breastfeeding period? Oh my goodness! Particularly, um, you know, when your milk first comes in and you just yeah, eat the entire eat house. everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think it, it depends on the woman and her sort of her, her background and her general diet and if she's got any intolerances and that kind of thing. But um, you know, complex carbohydrates and lots of Fatty foods, I think, is really important in, a, you know, good fats. So um, I, I think snack plates are really good where you can make, uh, you can have, like, crackers or good quality bread, like dips that have, like, an oil base, some avocado, smoked salmon or meat if you're eating fish or meat, cheese if you eat dairy, things that are really easy to grab but that are really nutritionally dense um, that aren't too hard to digest that you can eat in small bites. Um, but that make you feel full and that will obviously nourish good milk supply. And lactation bickies are always awesome because they're delicious mm-hmm. and, you know, they pack a pretty good nutritional punch and they also help with milk coming in. Fluid is really important. I think that's maybe something that gets overlooked um, by a lot of women and their partners. Um, food is really important, but hydration is just as important for milk supply. And I think mm-hmm. people don't realise how much they have to drink, although like the while the hunger, like you say, of a newly breastfeeding mother is pretty insatiable, the thirst is equally as strong. Um, but if people haven't been in the habit of drinking a lot, sometimes they will. Like I sometimes speak to mums who say, oh, yeah, I've been forgetting to drink. And, like, you know, they're drinking maybe a litre of water a day and they need to be drinking three litres at least if they're feeding a baby, mm. especially in warm weather we've been having. So, you know, simple snacks, grabbable, like homemade or if you can't get homemade, good quality packaged, um, uh, you know, snack plate foods as well as um, lots and lots of water or herbal tea is something that I normally recommend. Yeah, that's a good tip. Mm. I remember when I um, was in that initial stage of breastfeeding when I couldn't really get up from the chair very easily, um, mm. I had water stations set up all throughout the house in everywhere I good. used to um, breastfeed yeah. and I got um, glass bottles with straw because – the last thing I could do was then spill stuff all over my baby's head as well. Yeah, <laughs> that's why. Well, that was one of the best things. My um, mum stayed with us for a couple of weeks after my daughter was born. And she, um, as soon as I sat down, she'd bring me a glass of water. Mm. It was just her, her go-to thing. It was one of the best things she could have done. And I do, we do, we have a baby clinic, um, a drop-in clinic at the clinic that I work at in Piermont. And um, also we see lots of mums and bubs and dads as well, but in relation to breastfeeding, that's only for mums, um, uh-huh. come in. And the first thing I do as soon as a mum comes in is just put a glass of water in front of her, whether she wants it or not. She doesn't have to have it, but invariably it's drained, you know, within minutes mm. because <laughs> you're always thirsty. Yeah. I think for my personal experience was that um, in those early days I had such a ravenous thirst when I used to breastfeed, but then that eventually dropped off and then it would just be having to remember to, to breastfeed. Mm-hmm. And yes. um, it's it's still really hard to remember. 
yeah. <laughs> um, to, um, yeah, drink that much water while you're breastfeeding, I mean. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, I guess another really important topic that I wanted to cover with you is that sort of new mum body uh, insecurity. So yes. it's really common that I see a lot of new mums come into the clinic and say, I just want to lose a bit of weight now. And like, what can I do to get my belly skin back in and that sort of thing. And I'm, I'm just often, you know, like, you know, eat well and everything, but it's not that important at this point in time. So what, what, yeah. what are the things that you would say to a new mum that was feeling down or insecure about her body changes? Mm. I mean, I have to honour how she's feeling. I agree with you. I don't think <clears> – <throat> I, I think that there are other things that are more important than, sit, than fitting back into a particular size of jeans. And I'm quite, like, a strong advocate of, like, positive body image and focusing on the amazing job you've just done in growing a human and birthing a human and keeping them alive um, and the fact that different women gain and lose weight at different rates. There's so many sort of things that contribute to your physical – um, presentation before, during, and after a baby, and I think you know social media is sometimes. I love social media, but sometimes it's not great for that because um, you get fed these images of really impossibly beautiful women looking so excellent immediately after having a baby, and there's this subconscious um, idea that's lodged that that's like that's what I should be aiming for. Yeah. So without um, dismissing how a woman feels will often talk a little bit about the importance of sort of like her overall health, like how strong she is or isn't feeling, like, you know, what her diet is like, how, how, how good or not her energy is, you know, like circulation, overall well-being, sense of self, all of that type of thing. Um, for sure, and in, the, in the first few weeks, I mean, it's, uh, it's not a discussion to be having. But even then people can be talking about wanting to mm. um, Lose weight, I spoke to a woman the other day who only has a several-week-old baby who's talking about getting into her pre-pregnancy stuff. And I was like, wow, that's really soon. But for her, that's important. So, you know, I can't dismiss that. Um, of course, yeah. But I, I, I try and move the focus away from that. Or if we're going to, if it's really important to them for whatever reason to get back to a certain size, then talk about how we're going to manage this healthily. So you need to make sure, you know, there's no restriction of food that um, there's a good balance of nutrients, that energy and, and metabolic function is being supported, et cetera, et cetera, um, so as not to, yeah, diminish or deplete them because that's the exact opposite of what they need. Yeah, for sure. And are you seeing a growing trend of thyroid issues in new mums as well? Um, not necessarily. I mean, it's not uncommon, but um, I wouldn't say I'm seeing a growing trend in it. Are you? Um. A little bit, uh, but oh, okay. I mean, it's hard when I'm only dealing with like a like a hundred or so women a year or so in that regard yeah. to actually have that sort of sample. But I wonder whether that does does have something to do with women's ability to to lose weight afterwards as well. But yeah, I, I mean, it's definitely an impact. Yeah, I mean, I often see that it co correlates with the higher levels of stress and poorer diet. Yeah. Yeah, during that period. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And kind of, and I mean, it goes back to, uh, you know, preconception health is so important in management through pregnancy and all of those things. Like the more <laughs> women prepare in advance, the better, you know, like the better preconception, the better pregnancy, the better birth and the better recovery. So, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes um, <clears throat> it's not, not that it's it's not a surprise, but the fact that somebody develops a metabolic condition or issues with thyroid or something during pregnancy or after birth, it's not entirely surprising when you look back at their health history leading up to that point. And it's yeah. also not unmanageable, you know, like yeah. we can work with it for sure. For sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, is there anything else that you would like to talk about before we get on to my, uh, my um, last question, which is usually herbs? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, nothing. I feel like I've talked at you <laughs> a lot. It's been, it's been awesome. Yeah. So what are your favourite herbs for the postpartum period? Yes. Um, okay, always depends on the woman. Um, uh, but like tonic and nourishing herbs, so things like withania, shatavari, fennel, anything that's going to um, 
that's quite gentle, that's going to support digestion and lactation, and that's going to nourish blood and nourish the adrenals um, would be my go-to. Sometimes there are herbs like echinacea or something in there, depending time of year. But, um, yeah, let's say withania, shadavari, and fennel might be my top three, just off the top of my head. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, my personal favourites would probably be chamomile and vervain. Oh, yes. Beautiful. Yes. The nervous, yeah, nervines would be good too. Mm, and I love that vervain. It has that lovely um, milk-enhancing property too. Yes. Yes. Altogether, that would be a great mix. Those five herbs in one mix, how delicious. <laughs> that sounds good. Um, and I guess it's sort of, sort of related, but I do really like using bushflowers. Do you use a lot of those? I actually don't use a lot of essences. When I first um, started practice, I could use them a lot in college. And then when I start, first started practice, um, I did. <laughs> See, that was a while ago. Uh, <laughs> And I haven't since actually coming to Sydney. I think this just hasn't been in clinics where I've worked and sometimes with the students and tutoring they use them. But um, no, I don't have a, I don't use a lot of um, essences. Mm, well, I guess everyone um, sort of has different responses as well. So I particularly like the bushflower bottle brush because that's really mm. good for motherhood and the times of change as well. Mm. Mm. Top tip. Thank you. <laughs> So if people are interested in your services and they'd like to get in contact with you, how can they do that? Well, uh, probably easiest to go to the website, which is mamacarehealth.com.au. Um, there's a Facebook and an Instagram account also attached to that. But the website has a list, um, it has all the information about what the service is, what I do, who I am, who the expert committee is, um, the areas that I cover, you know, all of that type of thing. So. That would be the first port of call and then obviously contact me through that. Awesome. <laughs> so that's that's awesome. Thank you. And I've had such a lovely time chatting with you as well. Me too. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much again for joining us uh, and I hope you have a lovely day in clinic. Thanks. You too. Thanks.